0: Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. to book of the Bible, you First
1: Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you're in need of a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring you a Bible. The ushers will get a Bible for you. Just leave your hand up kind of high. We've been studying our uh, through First Thessalonians. We've been looking at um, Paul's letter to the church. And we'll continue to um, move our way through. Next week we're going to be looking at the uh, <laughs> being blessed that the comfort of Christ is coming. So I wanted to kind of leave that alone for this week. So we'll have just a short time today, uh, a few verses to cover. 1 Thessalonians 4, and if you're there, um, let's stand together and we'll read his word. Here's Paul's letter. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Paul writing to the church says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves uh, are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those on the outside and that you may lack nothing. And so, Father, again... We lift our hearts to your word. We ask you to find place in there to where your word would just penetrate, be fertile ground, may it grow fruit into our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, if you're just joining with, with us today, we've been studying this book, as I mentioned. We're going through the New Testament. Wednesday nights we're going through Jeremiah. It's been a really good study. We're, I think, only in chapter 4. And, and we remember last week in our study, as Paul would plead to the church, and this is a church that was being persecuted for just believing in Christ. They're standing up for Jesus Christ, and now persecution has come upon them. Their family, friends, just society in itself isn't appreciating what they're doing. And so they're, uh, they're used to do things that the world would have their stamp of approval on, but now that they're saved, there's a difference in their life. And it's really neat to see that. But when you want to stand up for Christ, that which you once stood for is going to come against you. That's just what they're they're facing. And so Paul had talked to them about, last week, about living the lives of purity. You know, have your life set apart, live a life of purity, and and it's that holiness. Our lives have been bought with a price, they're no longer our own. And so we're to allow the Lord to freely change the things in us once we come to Him, we give our life to Him, we come in faith, and then we, we're, we should freely open our lives to Him to say, Lord, whatever it is that You want, that's what I want You to do. I want You to take my life, take my anger, take my attitude, take my lustful thoughts, whatever it might be, just I want You to change me. And and our lives will be, in order to see that necessary change, you know, that that will come, it's called that sanctification, that setting apart, In order for our lives to see that necessary change take place, we'll see it as we allow, we come under this surrender, we're just letting go of our lives. And we're allowing Christ just to minister to us and and allow the change to come. And that's what Paul's writing here. He's he's writing to them now, once again, uh, now he's going to write to them, not just as a change would come, but he's now saying, now there should be some substance, some order to your lives. There should be some things that you and I see, the Thessalonians see in their lives, because when you come into that relationship with Christ, it's not all what it was. You know, it's, you're not you want to drop the bags at the door, kind of thing. You know, come into the relationship. Oh, I brought some of this. Well, that doesn't belong in my relationship, so I'm going to let it go. I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm going to just ask the Lord to take it. And now that's what he's saying today. He's going to point out a few things of order. And again, this this letter to them, to the church of Thessalonica. It's not a letter to where it's a correction letter of correction. He's not you know correcting them like he would the, the Corinthians, more or less you see that letter. It's been a letter of correction. It's not a letter of soteriology, which is the how one comes to Christ. It's, it's uh, like Romans and Galatians. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's a letter of equipping the saints to get them ready for the soon return of the Lord. I love that song that we sing. It was an old Crystal Lewis a uh, song that Michael uh, brought it out Wednesday night again, rem- reminds ourselves we're going to soon and very soon, we're going to be, see, we're going to see the King. We're going to be with him. And we'll see a little bit more of that even next week. But you know, Paul here is writing about that. He's saying, you guys get ready. And then you look in the mirror, you should see, you know, yeah, I, I've done two weddings so far that I remember one was in South Carolina and we, we went out there and it was a destination wedding. And I, we, we had to, there was a storm coming. It was on the beach. We couldn't do it on the beach because the storm was coming. And so we had to do it on this patio and we were rushing just to, you know, change everything up. There was only about, I don't know, 30 people there. And we got ready and I put on the suit and I got all ready and I'm ready to go and I didn't look in the mirror. I forgot to shave. <laughs> you know, there's things that we get hustling by and I did that twice. Twice I've done that. So, you know, you, you, when we get ready to see the king, I don't want to look in the mirror. And then there's just some things that Paul points out here that you want to make sure that you're just, hey, you should see growth. When you look at your life, you should see that, man, that might be the way I used to be, but it's not the way I am anymore. These are things that are, that God is working on. So, you know, when we think about order, don't think about, oh, i got to walk according to the law. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not the order that he means. It's far from the mind and the heart of God. The order that, you know, I think that he's talking about here, obviously is we're seeing change. We're seeing change in our lives. So keep this in mind when it, when it comes to a life of order. And you say, how do I bring order to my life? Listen, it's easier to find yourself living a life of order if you're first living a life of absolute surrender. When your life is just surrendered to Jesus, you're saying, Lord, just take whatever it is, just take it. I just want to live for your order, whatever you have, and you'll find that you'll find that to be much easier to, you know, have your life change, to see things going on, that God wants to, you know, take part in your life. Pastor Chuck had this quote, I thought it was a great quote, is a, a gem I want to share with you. He says, you know, I'm not interested in how high you can jump when you're under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm interested in how straight you can walk when you land. <laughs> Isn't that true? I mean it's just look, I just want to walk straight. That's it. You know, many people are wanting to be seen on how high they can jump. And we all have, you know, some order in our lives already. We see that we wake up in the morning, we get in the shower, we brush our teeth, we shave. We, uh, for the guys, and you get dressed, you have order you eat breakfast, whatever your order is. But this isn't really the order that Paul's talking about here, nor is it what the, the, the Lord is wanting us to see. But there are some simple points of application just in these four verses here that we can take home with us, that we can share not only with our own lives, but in the lives of others. We're going to be able to extract them from this passage. And the first one that we see is, Paul is encouraging them to grow in their love. To grow in their love. Look at verse 9, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, Indeed, that you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But he's saying, you know what? You have no need that I should write to you. But the growth in their love was so important. Their growth for their love for one another. And it wasn't the first time Paul had written to them about love. In the first chapter he said he he commended them for their labor of love. That they had this labor. You guys are laboring in your love. And then in the third chapter, verse 6, when Timothy brought back this good report of their well-being, he said he brought back the good news of your faith and your love. So this church was operating there. And he says concerning that love, you have no need that I should write to you about it. So it's, it's a common thing in the church, but I think there's a, con- a thing that we need to continue to grow in our love. In the third chapter, the, verse twelve, it says that the, uh, the and may the Lord increase and, and abound to abound in love to one another. So he wants it to to continue to grow. In the fifth chapter, he mentions twice love. He says that. Uh, you should put on the breastplate of faith and of love as a helmet of hope and salvation. And in the 12th and 13th verse of the 5th chapter, he talks about love being, you know, uh, when he talks about concerning the leadership, he, he says in verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love. For their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. And so there's this whole thing that, you know, that they had learned this love and, and to grow in that love to have that attitude of love. It should be a, a huge part of the DNA of the church that we are known for our love for one another. Again in verse 4 or again in verse 9 he says, "But concerning brotherly love, this is that Philadelphia love, that brotherly love. You have no need that I should write to you. You've been taught by God." And each of us can say, "Well, I don't know what that person means. You know, we might look at somebody and say, "I don't know about them." They haven't taught me nothing about love but he's, he's saying look didn't God teach them about love hasn't God taught you and I about love he sent his son we were wretched people and yet he died for us he said while we were still dead in our trespasses he sent his son to die for us I mean it's he didn't wait for us to get better he sent his son that we might he that he might die for us and give us that chance to repent and get things right with with him. And so this brotherly love, you think about what Paul is writing to in the church, it was so important for them, because when they were coming to faith in Christ, and they were getting serious about their walk, they understood that the people outside, you know, their workers or co-workers or family, well, the, the love was going to decrease. It wasn't going to be, you know, it wasn't going to continue to go out in that love. They weren't going to be loved on the same levels, because now they had Christ in their life, and have you ever heard somebody say, oh, no, you're a Christian. You think you're too good for us, you know, or something in that nature. I'm like, no, no, no. I just love you. I never really loved you like I do now, you know. And so you're you're sharing that love even for one another. So when the people from Thessalonica or Castle Longview or whatever, wherever we're from, we come into the church, we ought to have that love for one another. And we ought to grow in that love for one another because out there, where there's a challenge. In the world, there's a challenge, and it's a challenge to fit in because we don't fit in. We're swimming against the tide, you know, against the current, against the flow, against everything else, against the, the whole thing that the world is all about. We're just swimming against that stuff, you know. And, and and these guys already have been known for their love. And he says, you know what, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And it's a very birthmark of the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He, he didn't judge them. He said, I didn't come to judge, but the, the world might be saved. That's his desire, but he so loved the world, and so when you and I picked that up, we've been taught by God how are we to operate in this world? We're to love one another, and the the two most you know uh, common words, co- common the two most common words used for love are Philadelphia and agape, philadelphia love and agape love, and they're so important in the church. I think because one we were taught how to agape love by God, to charity love we didn't deserve it. And that should be the love we're to have for one another. But he says we even need to have that brotherly love. And churches, you think about, it, they, we can be known for a lot of things, right? We can be known for our cool buildings, or we can be known for our apps or websites or whatever else is cool and slick in today's world. But to be known for your love, to be known to love one another, and that man, that church just loves me. Those people love me. They don't care about who I am or where I'm, whatever I've been. You remember the uh, story I've told, I've used this before, years ago we had a meet and greet like we do and the guy had gotten up and he went to, he just he, before church he told me, yeah, I just got out of prison or I just got out of jail. I just got out of jail and I'm, I just want to get my life right with the Lord. And I said, what are you in for? He goes, well, I, I stole some beer out of the guy's freezer at a store and I got put in jail. I go, like, well, I'm glad you're here, man. Praise the Lord. You've repented. Yeah, he goes, yeah. And at meet and greet time, he turns around and goes to shake the guy's hand behind him. That was his store. <laughs> that he, and it, it, there was love there. The guy showed him love, but he was condemnation piled on him and he took off, you know. Don't ever think that. There's love. There's love in this place. And there's got to be that love. So the two most common words, like I said, Philadelphia and agape, the philea love is a love that is a deep affection. It's that friendship or that brotherly love. Well, the agape love is the love that God shows towards us, right? Just that, that deep love. He has a great concern and a great love for you. If you walked in here this morning and your life is just messed up, understand that God loves you. We were met this morning with a gentleman in a parking lot I've known for several years, and he was pretty messed up on drugs, and he couldn't sit in his service. And pretty messed up, but I, I was telling him, I said, man, you know God loves you. If you can sit in the service, God wants to take you he wants to just free you up right now. I'll tell you that. so how much love he has for you. He doesn't want to leave you the same. He doesn't want to leave us the same as when we come in this relationship. And agape love, God desires that you and I would treat one another with his love, right? With that agape love. In, in John chapter 15, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And he said, this is my commandment that you love or that you agape one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and it lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus said, if you do what I commanded you. And then in verse 17, he said, these things I command you, that you love one another. So it's not this great list of things. There's one thing, just love one another. You know how healing that is? When you would love one another, when you receive love? Because like I said, in this world, you don't know love, you don't see love. But when you and I will love one another, It's incredible. It's incredible. And the love love that Paul is referring to here is that brotherly love that we're to have for one another. But there isn't really anything better for the church to be known for than love. This love that we're to have for one another. And again, in verse nine, remember, as I pointed out, it says, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So the level of love that we're to have for one another, we look to God and we say, God, I need love for somebody because God didn't say this. He didn't say, Hey, Jesus, son, I want you to go down. You're going to die. But that dude over there, that little kid in San Diego, nah, not him. Won't you to die for? No, and not that girl over there? No, no, no. He didn't do that, did he? The most wretched sinners he died for, and he loved. And so the depth of our love is a depth that God himself would teach to his disciples. And he did that by demonstrating his own love, by giving himself, by giving his son, that he would. The lie down. Or lie his, lay his life down for you and I. And that's the love that we're to have for one another. So he's the greatest teacher that we could have of a sacrificial love. The greatest teacher. You want to know how to love? You've got to look to Jesus. You don't have love in your heart for somebody that you need to have love for? You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to say, Jesus, you got to help me with this. But teaching the disciples how to love was priority on his list. How to love. You know, just don't love the way you think you can love because we fail so much, don't we? I do. I mean, if I was going to love you because of what you did, or you were going to love me because of how good I am, you'd stop loving a long time ago. So Jesus also said in John 13, he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. But He then he demonstrates this. He says, as I have loved you by this, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he's telling them, you, if you love the way I love you, I want you to shoot for that. Just love in that manner. Love one another. It doesn't matter what they've done yesterday. They stole beer out of your cooler. You shouldn't have beer in your cooler anyway. But, <laughs> just, you know, if you, you love one another and you just love them, it doesn't, you know, while well, they, they called you something bad or the, their lifestyle, whatever it was, you know, surely we might need to to dig a little deep for that love for a certain someone, especially if they don't maybe dress like you, or they don't root for the same team that you root for. But because that they're born again, listen, that changes everything, doesn't it? It it doesn't matter. Maybe some of you guys remember the the movie um, Grace Card, where the guy, he was a police officer, and uh, his son is killed by a, a drug addict. And drug runner, he's running from the police, and he's on a a bike. He's riding, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Boom, a car hits him, he dies. And the guy struggles through this. He comes to faith in Christ, eventually the police officer. And at the very end, the guy was released from prison, and he comes up to meet him at the front of the altar. He's like, I just want to seek your forgiveness. He's been forgiven by God, the guy who committed the crime. Father has been forgiven because he's had all this hatred. But now you've got to work together at this, don't you? There's still another dimension to it. You see, when we're born again, it changes everything. There's gloves off, man. It's like, let's just let's just hug on. Let's get this thing on. Because there's boundaries that have been opened up. They've been just demolished. And this is because, all because of what Christ has done for us. And here is what Paul encourages them to grow. And, and he encourages them to continue to grow. He says in verse 10, he says this, But, but, But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You might be loving, you might be doing okay, but there's still room for improvement. And this stems from verse 6 of last week. We saw in verse 6, he said, be careful that you don't defraud one another. That defraud means that you're stealing from them in the sense of you're taking what doesn't belong to you. So don't defraud them. And then in verse 9 and 10, he says that, you know, we're to grow in deeper in that love for one another. So living a life of order means that we should never become complacent on who we love and how much we love them. We should always want to. We should always want to grow in that love and grow in that uh, the depth of our love for them. And we need to continue to grow in the things that God is showing us. I mean, whenever the Lord has something in our lives, He's pinpointing in our lives. He wants us to grow in things. He wants us to become take on more of His image. And, and the image of never, I mean, people think, well, I'm never going to walk on water. Well, that's good. But you need to take, we need to take on his image. We need to learn to love, forgive. We need to learn to have grace, all this stuff in our lives. And so, you know, when he's showing us these things, and especially of love, because love, love covers a multitude of sin. Love is just the greatest gift. People want to be spiritual. Just try loving one another. You know, they want to be, you know, I want to have all these spiritual gifts. Good. You just love one another. And, and so, you know, for you and I, we, we, we think of things and we we look at ideas, we look at things that are out there, but we need to make sure that we're not loving those only whom we want to love. Or we're only loving the way we want them. We're only going to give them this much love or whatever that, you know, we want to feel like loving them or, you know, that's called hypocrisy. We need to love. We just need to love. And if we don't have in our heart, remember uh, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, uh, well, you know, when, especially when it came to forgiveness, they said, would you help us? We need faith. We need to have that faith to forgive. Would you pray for us? And we have that faith to forgive. And see, it's, it's so hard. Listen, when, once we're born again, we, uh, we've got to change the way we have an outlook on things because each and every person that's born again is that new creation in Christ. And we can't live on what happened yesterday. The devil wants to keep us unloving because of things that may have happened yesterday or last week or last month or 10 years ago. And Paul said to the church of Philippi in chapter 3, verse 13, he encouraged them. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but the one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That was important. And he says, I press towards the goal, deprived of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if we're looking at things behind us and we're thinking, well, I can't love you because of this, because I remember... You know, we're going to have a problem. And so we don't want to let the, the past keep us from being who the Holy Spirit is trying to create in us today. True love keeps no record of wrong. Right? 1 Corinthians 13. True love. If we really have a love, that we're going to understand that whoever it might be that we need to love, that we're not going to keep records of wrong in them. And so... Um, don't, don't let the past hurts keep you from extending your love to one another. Just think if Jesus were to love us conditionally. Again, just think if he were to love us because of how well we are or what we do. Do you realize that we fail? And so our love, we wouldn't receive that love because we can't earn it. And so he's just telling them, he's saying, he's saying you know what, you guys growing that love, don't look back and let past hurts keep you from loving now because those people Either need Jesus, and you got to love them in the kingdom, or you got to you got to minister their hearts. And keep in mind that there are times when the Lord knows what we need to increase in more and more. And it might be love in this context here. And you know what? When we are to increase in something, we can you know a lot of times we can just slide by, can't we? Come on, come on, right? But there are times when the Lord says, "I know you're not all right, and I'm to I need you to love that person more." And there will be times when we need to grow in these things and he might bring a certain somebody that forces us to practice our Christian faith. And it's also possible that we may need to go through something to cause us to love them as he would have loved them. There are times in our lives we got to look at things. Why am I going through this? Why is that person in my life? I just wish they would go. God's saying, no, I need you to love them. I want you to love them. And that depth of love is the love that he has for us. He, he loves the unlovable. And there are times in our lives that where he wants us to love the unlovable. Doesn't he? I think of myself. I have so much love in this room, but you guys didn't know me before Christ. But if you knew me before Christ, you might think, I can't love that dude. I don't trust that dude. You see the change. And see, if we look back at the past, then we, it inhibits us from loving in the future, in the present. And I'll tell you, there's, there's a question. I'll just ask you, is there someone whom the Lord has brought into your life whom He's wanting you to love? You see, if we're lacking love, or if we're limited in our love, or it's just verbal, it's often then that the Lord will bring that someone into our life. He wants, wants to challenge us, and then we're, we're to love them. We're to dig a little deeper in that love. God, help me in that love. I want to love them. I want to do what you want me to do. And maybe there's a, a personality that we don't care for. I don't, you know, I, there, were, there was a fellow that I knew years ago, and he had one of these strange personalities. I mean, we all do. I do to some people, you know. And this guy didn't have many friends, and I and I told him one day, I said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to pack your lunch, and I'll be over at your house and pick you up, and we're going to go fishing. I don't know how to fish, but I just I'm trying to be your friend. And we went over there, and I packed this stuff. He goes, you mean you're going to take me fishing? Well, I'll take you casting. Fishing is up to you. You know, <laughs> but you know, that's just what you do. You know, I don't want to have this limited love. I want to break down the barriers of my own hearts. And if there's somebody that's, that, that we have a tendency not to love or, or we're holding our love back for, you know what? The, it might be that the Lord is gonna, not going to let us rest easy on that. And God allows us at times to be in those situations so that our love might increase. Look, at, we're an, a lot of us are unlovable people. But you look out in the world, You know, it might be easier to give $5 to the guy at the corner who's asking for a handout than it is to give love for somebody who just came to know Christ. We need to be that person that's giving the love for those who need to know Christ or that come to know Christ. And this church in Thessalonica, they had to learn to love all they had been doing well on that. But he says, you know what? I think there's a chance they increase. And remember what Paul wrote uh, at the beginning of this chapter. He said in chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Finally then, brethren... We urge you and exhort you in the love or in the Lord Jesus Christ that you may abound more and more. And that's that's part of the heart. We want to continue to abound more and more. And so they were they were located, Thessalonica was located next to uh, Philippi and they were next Berea and some other towns where Christians lived. And so they were told, even when these guys gathered together, love them. I want you to love them. Just don't have it for your own special group. There's no shumi no cliques. You love them. And they were to love one another. And and Paul, again, he mentioned it earlier that they were to love one another, but there's still room for improvement. He commended them for their love for one another, but there was still room for improvement. No complacency. We always want to grow in the Lord. We always want to grow in the things that He has for us. And so when when a Christian or a church becomes complacent, especially in their love, they become stagnant. And when we become stagnant, then we're not going to be fresh. We're going to have bugs running around us, you know, and we want to be fresh. And so he says, you know, that, that love, how we need to increase. And the second thing that he points out here is how we're to live a quiet life. Look at verse 11. He says that you may aspire to lead a quiet life. And so this aspire means, it means that we should make it our ambition. This should be something that each one of us would want to do that it refers to, listen, minding your own business and not the business of others. And he says, you know, this, this is so important. It, you know, some people will make it a prayer of theirs. Oh, I want to be put you on my prayer chain, brother or sister. Actually, you know, it's on Facebook. <laughs> Listen, he's saying that, you know, live this restful life. This is what it means. Because the word quiet doesn't mean necessarily quiet in speech, though that is good at times. It means to be restful, you know, not just talkativeness, you know, aspire to lead a restful life, not a lazy life, but one who is, resting in the Lord. Just trusting in the Lord. You're not being moved. People are going through things and you're loving on them you're praying for them but you don't have to be in everybody's business. You know I used to have that saying to say, save the drama for your mama. And it's not my mama. Not my wife. I tell my kids that. They come home. You wouldn't believe what happened. I said save the drama for your mama. Mom! I go, no not her. <laughs> you know He's encouraging the Thessalonians to be less uptight about things that are going on. We can get our feathers ruffled quite easily, can't we? You see all the comments when Kanye West became a Christian? I mean, everybody wants to judge him. I'm like, wait a second, I'm glad they didn't put me on front street like that. I mean, this guy has got Jesus as king going out throughout the world on billboards. Well, I'm just thankful that Jesus is king, man. Look at it. And we should just be welcoming the grace of God. Pray for him that he gets a strong walk with Jesus. Or even Lamar Odom. I'm not a Lakers fan, but Lamar Odom just gave his life to the Lord. And you if you read reports on him, he was in bad news. But what did he do? He gave his life to her. We should be praising God for that. Well, oh, I wonder if it's real. <laughs> I'm looking at church sometimes, and I wonder if we're real, you know? I mean, for real, you know what I mean? We gotta be we gotta be legit. And so we, we see that. Listen. Let's just lead these quiet lives. We should aspire to lead these quiet lives, and 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 when we do that, it can be contagious for others because they're going to see people go ballistic, or they're going to see things that sets them off, and we can get you know our feathers ruffled. As I mentioned, and we let our emotions take over. Man, when emotions take over, we're a mess. Look at Paul knew that some in the body had gotten their feathers ruffled over some things, and then let it be known. And as they do, they were disturbing the peace of others. Man, we're trying to rest in the Lord, you know, just trying to figure some things out in our own life. And and here we got these people that aren't, you know, they're just, they're out there, not aspiring to lead a quiet life. They're in everybody's business but their own. That's what he's saying. I remember a few years ago, we had, a, quite a few years ago, we had a, a gentleman who was attending church. And then all of a sudden he thought, I'll, I'll one up it for the church, I'll start this home group. What the home group became is a, uh, a time to show how much his theology was better than my theology. <laughs> All right. Aren't you just uh, greatest things in sliced bread, you know? But, you know, here's the thing. If you have a problem with any church's theology, just leave the church quietly. It's, it's really what it is. I mean, we just, I teach the Bible, try and do my best. Check it out your own self, be Bereans. But I just try to do the best I can. And I think that, you know, but if we have a problem with it, there's 70 churches within mile, you know, 10-15 miles of driving distance here, 20 miles that offer something else or something of the same in a different way. You can go there. There's no problem. But but you know, we we've got to aspire to lead these quiet life. So it's Paul's direction to the church then is good advice for us today, is it not? That we should study to be quiet. That we should study to be quiet. And then he says this. He says in verse 11, he says, uh, then mind your own business. Remember what MYOB means? Some of you guys remember that sermon when we were going through the the, uh, the uh, uh, life and ministry of Jesus Christ in chronological order when, when Peter came and said, but what about John? Remember that? That doesn't mean make your own burrito. It means mind your own business. You mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. You know, that's what Paul is saying here. Don't spend valuable time interfering with the affairs of others. And if they ask you for help, give it to them. Instead, focus on your own life. I mean, I've got tons to worry about with my own life. I mean, I, 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 I'm i a mess. No amens there, though, okay? <laughs> I know I'm a mess. I know I need help. And I go to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, you got to help me through some of these things, you know? But that's what we need to do. I need to focus on my own life. If somebody needs help, you know, I want to help them. There's people in the church that need help. I want to help them. But, you know, a lot of times we just need to, the, the problem had this thing of busybodiness bodiness that found its way in the church of Thessalonica. In the second letter, Paul writes this. He says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies and know-it-alls, your armchair quarterbacks, you know, then the term busybody usually refers to one who is intent on the matters of others, but they do little or nothing about their own matters. And so they, they tend to focus on you know, faults and weaknesses or, or the, the troubles of others. Look, if you want to focus on my weaknesses, you better get a long pen. You better get a couple of pens. You're going to find a lot of them. But that's the way it is. We're, we're, we're going to disappoint one another. Just look at your own life and try and better it. That's what Paul's saying. You know, but they—they they, try and do that. Look at the weaknesses. Look at the faults. We all have faults, amen. We all have weaknesses. What we need is love. We need to lift up one another in love. First Peter four fifteen says, "But let none of you suffer as murders." And he—and he puts this in this context. Look at with murders and thieves and evildoer or a busybody, in other people's matters. I mean, that's a trip, is it not? Well, I ain't murdered nobody. Are you meddling? And that's what he's talking about here. There's a there's a caution. Listen, there's a caution. Don't judge somebody because they sin differently than you do. Right? I mean, don't judge. Oh, well, i never, never, you can to believe them people. Look at your own life. That's what I do. i got to look at my own life. And i got to say, Lord, help me with my life. And we need to do that. See, if we're going to be about the Lord's business, we're not going to have time, nor the desire, nor you know anything else to be meddling in the affairs of others. If We're about our business. See, th- these people here... That oftentimes they'll find themselves meddling in other business. They'll call it a concern. It's camouflaged under a concern. God calls it gossip. He's He's pretty clear about it. But the meddling in the lives of others. You see, the church would be much better off if we just, as individuals, looked inwardly in our own lives. What is our own heart? Where are we at? See, if the church is concerned about itself, as we say we are for others. Then it will be that we'll find ourselves living these powerful lives, pure lives, and set apart for the glory of God. And so he tells them, he says, you know what, guys? Uh, listen, don't be a busybody. Don't be meddling in other people's business. Be about your own business. I know we come together and we'll pray, but once that prayer, when we pray in there for Tuesday for the prayer cards in our staff meeting, it stays in there. We don't unless they want to put on the prayer chain, we don't broadcast it out. And you know what somebody so-and-so is going through? <laughs> okay. Don't be a busybody. And then he said in verse 11, again, he says, he encourages them to work with your own hands as we command you. I mean, it speaks volumes today, doesn't it? Get a job. And then he's telling the church you need to live by example. See, Now that you and I have been born again, we see the needs and how the needs should be met, and we should want to get a job. I mean, today, there's many people that are wanting handouts, not hand-ups. There's a difference, and our government is so good at things that they offer because they're a helping hand to get you started when you're down. You've gone through troubled times, but it's not a life support. It's there to help you out. And and many today we're looking for handouts. I deserve something. You don't deserve anything. You deserve to get to work. That's what you deserve to do. And then they don't, you know, they don't want to work. People don't want to work. They want to have everything handed to them. You just give me this. Look at in the church. We need to trust God, and it may not be the job that we want, or maybe not be the place that we want to go. But God is saying, you know, this is where I want you to go. And and it, it gives God a greater opportunity to show himself when we're taking a job for less money because it's better for our family. You know, better for family time. Or it's just provision. I'm just trying to flat out provide and I only got this minimum wage job. Good, let God provide through that. Let him provide for that. And and, and see, that's the way that we're to be in a Christian life. Just get a job. He didn't say go for the job so you can live into a $4.2 million home with a white picket fence and two and a half kids. He didn't say that. He said, just get a job. Just provide. And it's so important that we find ourselves providing and, and looking out for the things that we, you know, that, that are out there, the necessity. See, we're to be examples of how to we're to live our lives obedient unto the Lord. When I when I moved up here, and forgive me for being redundant on these stories, but my, I don't have a very exciting life. So <laughs> I'll share them with you. When we moved up here from San Diego uh, 30 years ago, 19, well, it was 1990, March 12th, and I was in the union for many years in um, union labor, and we didn't have there were no jobs up here. And when uh, my wife had gotten a phone call, I worked I worked the job, the only job that was available, and we had rented a house sight unseen in Salmon Creek, and and uh, my wife had said, my sister just called and said that I can go to work uh for, you know, a, a company that was uh they were on strike at the time and said, Well, that's not your place, that's my place. It was minimum wage. And I just went for it. I said, I'll do it. And it didn't make sense because the money I ran forty miles or thirty miles to get to get the job and to get, get it was just gas money is all it was. But the Lord showed me something and I said, I just want you to be obedient and I'll provide for you. Never laid on rent. Never laid on anything. Never went without as you can tell. He's been good the whole time. And so you just think of those things. Just get a job. Let God do it. See, the Lord's our provision. The job isn't our provision. It's His way of meeting the means. But the Lord is our provider. And whatever it is and how He wants to do it, it's perfectly fine. See, so we shouldn't be afraid to work. Let me share with you a couple of reasons, I think good reasons, why Christians should work. Number one, to provide for your family. Right? 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the, the denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we should be men and women that are desiring to to provide for our family. See, if an unsafe person has to go to work to pay their bills, so should we. And we should be living that example of being the best employees out there in the workplace that we that we can be. And so Paul says, you know what? Or yeah, Paul Timothy Five Eight says, hey, you know what? You need to work. So you don't deny the faith, but you need to provide for your family. The second thing that I think of is he gives us something to give. In, in Ephesians 4.28, Paul wrote, he said, Let him who stole steal no longer. Remember, these guys are getting saved. They used to be out in the world. They're stealing. They're not stealing anymore. But rather, let him labor, working with his own hands what is good, with what with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give, who, uh, give him who has need. So instead of always looking to give, to receive, to get, to build my kingdom, there's nothing about that. It's healthy for you and I to think about and look at the, the needs of others and be able to help them out, even when they don't have to ask for. It. You're just praying, is God? How do I? How can I be a part of this? What do they need? You've given me this. What do I do? And then the third thing is that that they um, you you need to work in order to eat. I mean that's very simple. Second Thessalonians three ten says, um, "For even when we were with you, we commanded you this." If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Pretty important. I love to eat. (laughs) I'm telling you, right? (laughs) What are you laughing for? (laughs) I do. I like to eat. I'm sure all of you like to eat too, right? It's just something. We we just got to work. We got to provide for that. And so the the Thessalonian converts, they were made up of this primarily working class people. So what, what had happened in that, is they were coming together and some of the their expectations were, oh, because Jesus is coming back, some of the enthusiasts would neglect their daily work and they would lean on the and depend upon the abundance of others. You say, no, not so. Look, I don't know how long the Lord's going to take to come back. I don't know if it'll be here today or tomorrow, but you better stay to get to work. Put away for tomorrow. Just leave it for somebody who's going to be in need. It's not going to buy him anything in the, in the tribulation. But just set away, put away for tomorrow. Live wisely. But you got to get to work. And these guys are saying, well, the Lord's coming back, so yeah, let's just not do anything about it. Let's not set aside for tomorrow. No, we need to work. Whether we're planning on the Lord's return or His provision, we need not to be relying upon others to fulfill our responsibility. There's a difference between, as I mentioned, a hand up and a hand out. We need to make sure that we are, if we need a hand up, we get it. But a hand out, that... um, you know, it's that old fish and teach them to fish and teach him to give him a fish thing. And see, what are the results? Paul will, will wrap this up here. What are the results that um, we should see in our lives? In verse 12, he says this, that you should walk properly towards those on the outside. You know, when you walk in darkness, as we did before Christ, we were stumbling all over. I use my own life for an example. I stumbled all over, not just because I was inebriated, but because of the fact that I didn't know where I was going, had no clue. You know, what do you do? But now you come to faith in Christ, and they're looking at you, like they're looking at the church in Thessalonica, and they're saying, I wonder how those guys are going to act, I wonder how those girls are going to act, And wonder what's going on. And we're to walk properly towards those. Look, we see where we're going now. The light's been turned on, our eyes are open, scales are off our eyes. And we see where we're going now, and we can walk clearly. And we should walk this this properly means this, it means... Uh, honestly or decently towards those on the outside, we should have a witness. They should see the change that has been made in our lives, and we should have a witness that we're walking properly. We're walking in honesty or deceit, but decently, not deceit. Excuse me. If we if we if our Christianity is only lived within these church walls, then we're really in trouble. And we come through here, and all of a sudden we plug in the the memory chip. Oh yeah, what was that? I forgot their name, brother, sister, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We get, all, get in that, you know, that thing of download all the Christian words, Christianese words we have. You see, we're in trouble because Christianity needs to be lived out there. It's like a hospital room. We come in here to get fixed up. We come in here to let the Lord minister to us, to speak to our hearts, to see, Lord, what do I have for today's message? What about that love? What about my busybodiness? What about my, you know, non-desire not to work and all these things? And he fixes up to go out there to be a witness that we might walk decently, honesty and honesty. And before Christ, again, um, people have seen us. People have watched you. they watched me. And now that we've come to faith in Christ, we're born again since we've been saved. Well, now that we're not lost and we're found, We come to this place that we don't cheat, we don't steal, we don't gossip, we don't do anything. We're saved now. And they should see that witness. And they were walking properly to those on the outside. This is the message. The message that they won't hear, but they can see, is that you and I are walking properly. Because now that we're born again, we're walking away in the Lord. The other thing uh, to point out as we close is this. He says that you will lack nothing. In verse 12, he says that you may walk properly towards those on the outside and that you may lack nothing. You're not going to lack anything. Not only is provision, you think of the Lord's provision, you think of the necessities, you think of the grace that is so needed on a daily basis. But some of the things in our lives that we are not going to lack, I think it's just the fruit. I think, you know, we're not called to be fruitful but we're called to be faithful, but out of that produces fruit, does it not? Our faithfulness will produce fruit. And so we come to the Lord and say, God, I just want to, when we're honoring the Lord, and in, in Galatians chapter 5, I'm just going to read to you this in verse 22, beginning of verse 22, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the greatest gift, love. And he says, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such a, there is a law. And then he says, And those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So if we're lacking things, these characteristics, quite possibly, we're to go to him. Lord, change whatever it is that is keeping these characteristics from blossoming forth, the fruit. From blossoming forth. I was sitting on the, looking out the um, slider window today on the patio and all the plants have done this. It's sad. They're like, right? I'm like, And I don't know anything about plants. I'm like, I wonder if she's just going to cut them up and pitch them. Or, and, and I know what my wife is, she'll just trim them up. She'll take care of them and this spring they'll blossom. Isn't that incredible? When we stay a little bit in God's son and the light what he does. He brings fruit to our lives. And then, if you're lacking, who is it that's fooled us? If we're lacking walking in the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, who is it? Remember what uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians. He, he, he clearly asked them. He says, O foolish Galatians, he reminded them, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ is surely clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the flesh or by the hearing of faith? Are you not so fooled? Are you not are, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spit are you now walking in the flesh? You see, that's the thing I think may the may may our lives that were began in the spirit continue to be lived in the spirit, so that we'll produce fruit of the spirit. And when people are out there and they want to come in, unsaved, they want to come in, they're gonna sense something is different. It's not the suave preacher or the cool band or anything like that. It's the people that are actually loving one another so foreign to that in the world that we are loving one another and we are caring. We're not meddling in other one another's business. We're not in people's business. We're not anything having to do with that. We're just loving one another, aspiring to lead a quiet life. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us and for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you
0: We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.